This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Welcome. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast show with Andrea and Alice. Our community is made up of so many amazing and diverse groups of people, as are the programs on Joy 94.9. There is something there for everyone. A Little Pot of Joy is where we highlight just some of these amazing programs. We're opening the evening with a podcast from Queer Community Network News, QNN. And QNN is produced and podcast by Jacob Holman, presented by Jacob, Matthew, Tanya and Adam. Mm, it's news and information for the lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans and intersex communities of Australia and the world. QNN is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Made in Melbourne for Australia and the world. This is the Joy 94.9 GLBTIQ News Roundup. A weekly update of what's been happening in the gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans and intersex communities. G'day and welcome to QNN. I'm Jacob Holman. And I'm Adam Samuel. I'm Tom Ballard and you're watching QA. Or should I say LGBTIQ&A? <laughs> Tough crowd. Okay, we've... Uh... The one-off LGBTI-themed edition of Q&A was marred this week by the inclusion of the Christian Democrat MP Fred Nile. The panel choice proved problematic from the get-go, with the notorious New South Wales parliamentarian telling the audience that it was a mistake to decriminalise homosexuality. A lot of people say there was a law banning homosexuality or banning homosexuals. It only banned or prohibited the sex act. And uh, I knew there was health risks and so on involved in that, which I was proved right later with the HIV AIDS epidemic. Julie McCrossan rubbished those claims. You had a loving marriage, I think, with Elaine for something like 60 years, and you've been lucky enough to have a new wife who loves you. But to deny that right of relationship in order to be acceptable is, is a cruel thing. And in the ongoing push for same-sex marriage rights in Australia, McCrossan said it's a matter of the rule of law. But you don't have to get married if you don't want to. It's a choice. It's about equality before the law. Most Australians now don't choose to get married in churches. They have civil marriages. Gay activist Professor Dennis Altman lauded the Western world's seismic shift towards the acceptance of homosexuality. And if Fred wants to line up with Putin's Russia and with Mugabe Zimbabwe, and with the rest of them, that's great. I unfortunately, and the majority of people in Australia, want to line up with President Obama and David Cameron and the rest of the leaders and people of the Western world. We know from public opinion polls, the great majority of people in Western democracies accept homosexuality and are moving to accept transgender people as equal. Meanwhile, trans woman Julia Dorman said the biggest advance for the community has been the decriminalisation of homosexuality. But... As far as transgender people go, uh, I think we are where the gay community was about 30 years ago as far as acceptance in society and, and understanding. And turning overseas now, with most eyes on the United States Supreme Court this week, further south, the Supreme Court in Mexico has struck down state bans on gay marriage. A number of states in Mexico had already begun to recognise same-sex marriages, the latest being the state of Chihuahua following a court decision last week. 
The ruling rejected arguments that the purpose of marriage is procreation, effectively setting up full marriage equality nationwide. Back home now and Australia continues to be left behind when it comes to passing marriage equality, with one little island nation proving it can be done. With that story, here's Matt Rennick. The Guardian Australia reports Pitcairn Island, a tiny island in the Pacific, which is home to just 48 people, has passed a law allowing same-sex marriage. This is despite actually not having any gay couples wanting to wed. The island is a British overseas territory and the change was suggested by British authorities after England, Wales and Scotland legalised same-sex marriage last year. For QNN, this is Matt Rennick. Meanwhile, Liberal and National Party leaders at home are still stalling on the conscience vote issue. The latest Federal MP to support the reform is longtime Labor holdout Kelvin Thompson, who has called for a free vote among the government's members. After months of delays and difficulty in securing a distributor, Robin Williams' final film is set to be released. The film is Boulevard, and in it, the late Robin Williams plays a married man who falls in love with a male sex worker. The film is set for a July release. And now, turning to QNN Sport, here's Tanya Lewis. The US sportscaster has criticised ESPN for giving Caitlyn Jenner the Arthur Ashe Courage Award. NBC anchor Bob Costas said on radio that it was just a crass exploitation to give Jenner the award as the network could have given it to someone who is currently involved in sports. Hundreds of irate tweeters wanted to see extreme sports person Noah Galloway get the award instead after he lost an arm and leg in combat in Iraq. In response, ESPN executive producer Maura Mance says Jenner has shown courage and can provide comfort and education for the trans community. And finally... After leaving the Montreal Alouettes last week for personal reasons, inside sources now say Michael Sam was pouting after hearing negative comments from teammates. It's alleged one of the players criticised Sam's performances and said that he should have prepared for the season instead of going on Dancing with the Stars. Thanks, Tanya. And that's all from QNN for another week. I'm Jacob Holman. And I'm Adam Samuel. Thanks to the team at QNN. That was the Joy 94.9 GLBTIQ News Roundup. To hear this update again, you can subscribe to the QNN podcast, available at joy.org.au slash QNN. Or you can follow QNN on Twitter, at QNN Australia. At QNN Australia. You're on Joy 94.9, and this is the Little Pot of Joy with Andrea and Alice. Up next from Friday Drive time, as David and Sue with Friday Drive took a break, so Janet and J. John jumped into their seats to speak to Leanne of Switchboard, formerly Gay and Lesbian Switchboard. Switchboard provides a telephone counselling, referral and information service to gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender and intersex communities. Leanne talks about how Switchboard started and the many dedicated volunteers that keep Switchboard operating. Leanne also discusses one of their latest services, Out and About Service, for the elderly LGBTI community members, breaking down isolation isolation. And you're a part of that organisation, aren't you, Alice? I am. I've gotten involved with Out and About with Leanne, and it's absolutely fantastic. I'm so excited about the service. So many members of the elderly GLBTIQ community are just so isolated, and they really just need someone to talk to, someone to share memories with, and that's an amazing thing to go out and visit somebody and actually listen and just look through some albums or something like that. Absolutely, and it's such a gift to be able to receive those memories and those stories as well. So it's really, it's, there's benefit in it for everyone, I think. Yes. If you can't listen to the show live, download the podcast from the Joy website, 
www.joy.org.au or the iTunes store. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. And Jay John filling in for David and Sue, who are taking a well-deserved week off. But we have plenty to get to this afternoon with a whole heap of good-looking people that are coming in and out of the studio. And the first one is Leanne of Switchboard. Hi, Leanne. How are you going? Hey, Jace. That was a lovely intro. Thank you. Oh, the fan club. Tell them to be quiet. Pepperazzi. Welcome all in the studio. I know. <laughs> They're a lot louder than I was anticipating, let's be honest. <laughs> That's my team. <laughs> uh, Leanne, firstly, can we go back just a little? Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us where Switchboard got started and why. Where? Where it started in Melbourne, because we're a Victorian-based service, although we do cover Tasmania now, but that didn't happen in 1991 when we started. Um, in fact, there were some phone helplines, it's just what we do before then, but Switchboard itself um, started in 1991 and it was based on London Switchboard. All right. The um, LGBTI phone counselling service. Oh, so some I guys came that. over from the UK and thought, hmm, I think we need a phone service. <laughs> and they had already volunteered in London, so they decided to start it up here. Very good. 25 years 25 ago. 25 years next year. So we'll have a bit of a party next year. I, yeah. think, I think we're still running the CSA that says over 21 years. So Oh, well, it's true. <laughs> we do get busy it with our CSA 20. production. All right. Well, we'll do a new one soon. It says <laughs> over 25 years. So how many people have volunteered their time at Switchboard over the years? Over 25 years, yeah. you know, lots is probably <laughs> Got them all the answer down. to that. Look, um, we run training courses for our phone volunteers either once or twice a year so my guess is over 25 years there's probably been quite a few hundred people Mm. that have come through as as phone counsellors obviously we have volunteers doing other things like our committee of management and people that help with you know certain expertise but the bulk of our volunteers are phone counsellors I think we all know someone that's volunteering for or has volunteered for Switchboard probably probably (laughs) in fact we were talking for our birthday next year of maybe having a volunteer get together Oh, very you know, good. The Where class, are they now? Yeah, the class of 98 <laughs> or the, the, what, the whatever's. The reunion. Exactly. Because, I mean, times have changed. I mean, we've still have our, um, some of our original founding members are involved okay. as life, life members. And I remember one of them telling me that when they first wanted to list which were known as gay and lesbian switchboard then, in the phone book, that Telstra wouldn't list us because it had the word gay. Wow. So, I know, and now look, they're probably after the Yeah, exactly. They're surrounding joy at the moment. (laughs) One next door, one over the road. (laughs) That's right. I was going to ask you uh, who the longest running uh, serving volunteer would have been, but there you go, you've got a few. Yeah, their life members tend not to still volunteer. We do have life members, but they're not founding members. Actually, we do have one now, founding member that is a volunteer as well. Oh, cool. um, so we have people who have achieved life membership and in most cases that's someone who's volunteered for over 10 years but we also give life membership for people that have sort of gone above and beyond the call of duty like presidents and those <laughs> sorts of people. Um, so yeah, I'd say there's still quite a few volunteers that have been with us for over 10 years. Cool. Jeanette? So we've been hearing a lot about QLife over the last year or so. Mm-hmm. So what's the relevance of QLife to Switchboard? Yeah, it's been a bit of a confusing thing. A lot of people think QLife Life maybe is a new phone service, mm. but it's not. It's us. So, so <laughs> how it came about was each state has its own volunteer counselling service, and we all had at that time very minimal funding 
some had none. And um, when there was some funding available through the federal government, through I think it was Tele eHealth um, for web and phone counselling, we all decided to band together yep. with um, another organisation that you probably know called the National LGBTI Health Alliance. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we partnered, um, all of us, to put in to actually create a national service. So we still remain our own individual organisations but, and we're successful in that funding. So that was um, a delight. Yep. A surprise, in yeah, fact. Yeah, but it was for a, sure. It was great. So what it's allowed us to do is sort of network our phones. So if our lines are busy, instead of people just getting the engaged signal at ringing out of the voicemail, yeah. um, it'll actually go to the next state. And oh. so some another trained counsellor will take that call. And it's meant that we've had to ensure that everyone's trained to the same standards. Yeah. And it's meant we've had to share our resources of referral information. So like if you rang from here wanting to know about a support group but you actually were speaking to someone in Brisbane they would need to know where I don't know, South Yarra yeah, or wherever yeah. you live um, and they would need to know, you know, actually how to get you that, that information. Yeah. So it sounds easy but because it takes a little bit Because you need to work. relate to the person you're talking to if you're mm-hmm. truly going to be able to help someone and as soon as that person sounds a bit off you're yeah. going to be a bit sceptical as a person calling aren't you? That's right. If you're like, I don't know. I, mean, I remember one of our Brisbane guys saying that he, he actually came from overseas and someone rang from like far north Queensland and wanted to know about social groups and he just Uh. looked up Metro because he had no idea where this, <laughs> this place yeah. was like 2,000 wow. kilometres away. And he's like, oh, you can just go here or you can just pop in here. And you can." Do... And the guy's like, no, there's like a petrol station <laughs> and like an old Kelpie in wow. this town. Yeah, yeah. That's not going to be all that helpful. No. That Chocolate only gets you so far. <laughs> Red um, Well, if only you weren't as, you know, busy enough, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've launched another service as well. We have. Out and about. Tell us Out what it all about. is about. about. Well, I mean, I guess the main strength of Switchboard is that all our volunteers um, identify as LGBTI and what I guess our our main focus is to help people connect, to um, reduce isolation and loneliness and help people with the issues that they've got. And again, we saw some um, opportunities with the federal government in their community visitor scheme that's been going for a long, long time, but they introduced a new aspect of it where they were looking for volunteers to go into people's homes, older LGBTI or older people, and visit them, just keep them company. Yeah. So we put in for some funding to visit older LGBTI people, yep. and we got that funding as Ooh, well. That's like two thumbs up right there. <laughs> I know. How good are we? So three. Grant, grant application. So I, I was just Are assuming us. it was a bit more, a more stylish version of Meals on Wheels. Well, it's more like... Well, I was going to say we might take cakes and bickies, but we have to watch out for people are diabetic, you yeah, know, oh, right, yeah, and all yeah. that. Like, they might go, oh, yeah, I can have that scone, and oh, you'll okay, find yeah. out later. You're no, in trouble. You're in trouble. So, uh, you no, know, not Meals on Wheels. It's very much just having a chat, keeping someone company. Yeah, an yeah. hour a week, two hours a fortnight, watching a movie, looking through photo albums, Making sharing Making sure their radio's on joy. Yeah, that that's kind of the thing, one. Because yeah. I do that all by myself sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, if you sort of add an another Good. 60 years and you'll, you'll be sad. Then I'll you'll get someone with me. Yeah, exactly. Well, the sort of the research has shown that older people in general are quite isolated yep. um, with, within communities and particularly LGBTI people because they're not really super comfortable necessarily about coming out sure. to their providers. Yeah. So, you know, they might go along to sort of mainstream pretty straight activities and stuff, but maybe they're not being true to them yeah. themselves. So. 
Well, we've talked a little bit about volunteers, mm-hmm. but volunteers aren't the be-all and end-all in not-for-profit organisations. The moolah's important as well, isn't it? The moolah. So how do, we help, right. how do we help out Whoa. with the cash? How do we make it rain? <laughs> <laughs> On our parade. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> no, we, um, we've been talking about these grants that we've gotten this funding, but if anyone knows about funding, usually that money's allocated to just making it happen and the implementation. Yep. We don't have any sort of cream on the top, I guess, to do things. So, mm. so all the funding we get is mainly to resourcing. So we have three part-time staff. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and a little bit um, of provision of, of resources, but not a lot. So we're always looking for money so that we can provide the latest technology for our volunteers. And one thing that we like to do is also provide really high-level training, and often you have to pay extra for yeah, that, yeah. that sort yeah. of stuff. So professional development, having guest speakers in or running workshops and all that sort okay. of stuff. In fact, none of our funding pays our phone bill, which is sort of oh, ironic. How ironic, yeah. Q-Life pays for the, land li- for the line, but we actually don't get our phone calls. Now, I know people go. ring us, but you'd think... No, but yeah, I, yeah. I can see. You'd reckon yeah, a phone counselling service ironic. would get its phone bill yeah. sponsored, but no. So we actually um, have a link on our website, yeah. switchboard.org.au, that says Give Now, and we use the Our Community Give Now resource, which you can just donate online. Um, just It's just clicking a couple of boxes, sticking in your credit card number, and they actually will, on our behalf, send you a receipt, because um, every donation is over $2 <laughs> is tax deductible. Exactly. Good before June 30. As we know, (laughs) June 30 is rolling around. So if anyone wants to donate, um, we would really appreciate that. And particularly if they want to donate and say the money is to be used in a certain way, we're happy to do that. You're on Joy 94.9 and this is A Little Pot of Joy with your hosts, Andrea and Alice. Up next from Well, 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 Family Violence Against Women in the Community. Joining Anthony, Carlos and Jack again this week as we continue our spotlight on family violence. They're discussing violence in lesbian relationships and the types of support available to those affected in the community. Joining them, Mel Creek, a counsellor with LifeWorks. If you just can't listen to the show live, download the podcast from the JOY website, www.joy.org.au or the iTunes store. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. You're on Well, Well, Well with Carlos, Anthony and Jack and we are talking about domestic violence or family violence for the last two shows and today we're talking about um, you know intimacy and lesbian relationships and violence that may occur there. We have Mel Creek from LifeWorks on the line from uh, LifeWorks' anger management program. Mel, welcome to Joy. Thank you very much. Now Melanie, it's Jack here. Can you just please uh, begin by explaining your role to us and something uh, a little bit about yourself as well and the program you run? My role is to run the Women's Anger Management Program called the Sea Change Program. Mm -hmm. And my background is in psych and in family therapy. And predominantly, we provide couple counselling and relationship counselling. And my role predominantly is in relationship and couple counselling, but um, also to facilitate the the Women's Sea Change Program, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, an anger management program for women. Melanie, when it comes to women, how how do they actually find out about the program and why do they attend? Uh, I think there's a variety of different reasons. Some people come through, you know, our website. I think a lot of people look at the website or Google, you know, anger management programs for women and there there aren't a lot around. So a lot of people coming through self-referral and identifying, you know, that they have an issue that they wish to address and looking for a group or, you know, individual counselling. Some people come through 
uh, individual counselling sessions that they may have had with a, with one of the councils at one of the branches where they've identified that they have anger management issues and come through that way. Some people come through correction or may come through, you know, a, a whole variety of different ways. A GP might know about it. Other programs and services know that we run the program, so they may come through that way, uh, you know, as well. Does it fill up, Mel? Do you get a lot of people, a lot of women coming to these groups? We do. Uh, you know, we've we've uh, had a ten-week program um, that we've run this this year already, and you know, most we probably have about initially about twelve people in that group. So we certainly don't have any issues with filling the numbers for the group. And, and do you have um, many lesbian women? Is it lesbian and straight women who attend? Yeah, look, it's, the group is open to, you know, all women. Any women, yeah. Yeah, all women. And, you know, the, what we do is we actually have an intake and assessment process yep. at the beginning. And that's really to establish with the women, um, A, whether a group is, is the best, you know, intervention for them. Some people, you know, may have anxiety or other issues about being in a group. And, and yeah, really sure. for them, it might be that individual counselling is, is a better way to go. So in that, we're looking at mental health issues and, you know, other issues which may mean that they are not appropriate for the group. Okay, you've got referral pathways for that for that group or any individuals who may be better suited to one-on-one counselling. Yes, that's yeah. right. And look, for, for some people they don't really want to be in a group and I mm. guess that's one of the things about anger and women's anger in particular is that, um, you know, often women have, uh, you know, issues in identifying that they've got anger issues and that there's, um, you know, shame associated with that and feel, you know, that they don't necessarily want to be in a group, you know, environment. I guess women aren't really, in a way, allowed to be angry or to express anger. It doesn't sort of neatly fit with our ideas of femininity. So how do you address those sorts of things in the group and, and about, you know, expressing anger perhaps in healthy ways and that sort of thing? Well, I guess one of the, th- the things that we talk about really early in the group is that, you know, it, for women in particular, there are a lot of stigmas around, you know, being angry. And, you know, initially the women are really hesitant, you know, about being in the group, I think, because, you know, they're not sure what's going to happen. So first of all, we talk about, uh, you know, w- what is anger? And and then we, we, we talk about, you know, what are some of the obstacles in being able to express anger? So look, for some of the women coming into the group, it's, it's not that, you know, the issue with anger is, you know, when they become angry, they might withdraw or stonewall. It's not actually being vocal about their anger. So some people are coming to learn how to, you know, what to do with that anger, you know, how to express it in a, in a healthier way and be assertive about uh, how they go about that rather than, uh, you know, I guess internalising it and not having an avenue or, or the skill to know what to do with mm. it. You did talk about recognising what anger is. So look, anger is a is a normal emotion. It, it's something that we we all experience. And for you know a person that wasn't in the group or didn't identify it as problematic, you know, for them it's that we have the experience of anger and we are able then to respond appropriately rather than react from a place of um, anger. So we're able to you know intervene in the physical process, in the psychological process, and recognise. You know, we're feeling really angry and, and hopefully we can then, you know, drop down into an underlying feeling or a trigger to that anger and identify that and then go about being assertive in responding to that either with another person or however it might be. You know, we might yeah. say something like, you know, I feel uh, however I feel and be able to explain it in a calm way rather than, you know, yelling and screaming or, or shouting at somebody. Sure. 
For people who, you know, with anger management problems, I, I guess it's, it's multifaceted and it's complex, but it's also that, you know, that process physiologically happens very, very fast. And when they have that feeling, they react to that feeling. I'm feeling angry, so, you know, I will, I will respond to that feeling that I'm having internally and yell and scream. Um, some people don't realise that there's actually a physiological process there that they can intervene in, that, that the body actually has certain steps that it's actually telling you when it's building up to that process. That, um, and that's one of the things we do in the group is teach real body awareness about uh, having the capacity to intervene you know, before that and giving some skills and strategies about, um, you know, how to take time out and and then how to go back and resolve conflict. Nobody can make us feel, you know, anything. It, it is our internal process that's, that's happening. And if you had four or five people in exactly the same circumstance, you know, they would all probably respond and react mm. in a different way, either internally, um, you know, to that situation. Right. Mm. Now, Melanie, um, in the program that, that you actually run, um, do you uh, tackle violence or is it just managing anger? Well, <clears throat> I wonder, thought it would be important to actually make the distinction between anger and violence. And certainly, you know, um, we, it's, an, it's an anger management um, group, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the women that are in the group that are experiencing issues managing their anger are violent. Um, certainly, occasionally, there are people that have had, you know, assault charges or, um, you know, that they have been violent in their relationships. Um, and certainly one of the things before they would go into the group, uh, you know, anybody gay or lesbian or, or straight, is to see whether their, their partner's safe, but also to see whether they're at, uh, you know, the point where they can, you know, not be violent while they're, they're in the group. So, I mean, the really big distinction between anger and violence is anger in itself is, is you know, a really natural um, emotion that we all experience and sort of maladaptive anger, if you like, the reason that the women are in the group is where, you know, that becomes really difficult for them to feel that they've got capacity to change that, um, that experience and that they react to it rather than respond. And I guess the difference is with violence, is violence can be physical, you know, it can be emotional, it can be sexual, it can be financial. And violence is always about, you know, uh, control. That is not necessarily the case that is happening for, you know, with the women in their group because they're experiencing issues around controlling their anger doesn't mean that they are necessarily, that that flows into being, you know, violent. They're quite different. Mel, what, what would you say with lesbian relationships, whether... Um, when sort of anger is expressed and perhaps violence is used, that it, would you say that it's still about power and control in those relationships as well? Look, I think I think so. Um, you know, I'm not certainly not an expert in you know the differences you know around that, and you know probably you know DVIRC, which is Domestic Violence you know Incest Resource Centre, you know they would have a lot of more information about the frameworks. I think it's really difficult to do that in terms of describe to, to describe that. I don't know that the research is really clear, you know, about that. But yes. certainly violence is about making the other person submissive to in terms of fear. Um, and it's a different issue than, than anger. Anger is much more it's an internal process that we don't have control over and yes it damages our relationships. Whereas violence is about power and control of the other person and it's coercive. It's a different step. It's a different stage I guess. You're listening to a little pot of joy on Joy ninety four point nine with Andy. 
Andrea Nellis. Up next, we have Saturday Magazine. Macker and Pete are joined by Dale Harriman, Mayor of the Latrobe City Council, to reflect on some inflammatory comments made by a fellow councillor. What is the code of conduct for councils and how do they adhere to it? What penalties are there for conflict of interest? What if a councillor makes inflammatory comments? What is the process involved in censoring a councillor? And you can listen to the entire podcast by downloading it from the Joy website, joy.org.au, or download it for free from the iTunes store. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. This is Saturday Magazine. I'm Macca. Pete Dillon is also co-hosting. Welcome back on air, Pete. And today, uh, Councillor Dale Harriman, he's the Mayor of the Latrobe Council, and we're going to talk to him about a few things, but uh, I'm interested how councillors... Uh, what the code of con- conduct is for councillors and uh, how they adhere to it. So what do you reckon we get on with it, Pete? Let's do that. And uh, I'm very keen to speak to our first guest. He's uh, Councillor Dale Harriman. Um, there is a councillor in the Latrobe, uh, the Latrobe Valley Council, or yes. Latrobe Council, which sort of runs from Moe to Morwell. Which is, I was born, but I was born in Warrigal. You were. Um, and Warrigal is still seeking <laughs> an still, apology. Still recovering. Um, and... Uh, this particular councillor has, has made a number of inflammatory statements going back to April where she compared Islam with Nazism and just in the, in the last couple of weeks has compared homosexuality to paedophilia. And she loves bacon. I uh, believe so. There was an interesting little uh, sign we saw. Somewhere. So, Councillor Dale Harriman is the Mayor of Latrobe Council. We're going to be quite careful about how we frame some of these questions, uh, given that um, there may be current processes in place yeah. around this particular issue. So, we'll be quite broad in our questions. Councillor Harriman, good morning. Good morning, gents. How are we? Good to talk to you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. We're interested to sort of unpack councillors' codes of conduct. First of all, do, do they exist? Yeah, look, every, every council has a code of conduct. Um, some are fairly broad-ranging, some aren't, but it, it basically it defines how councillors are meant to behave. Um, unfortunately, they're, from my point of view, unfortunately, they're, they're directed by the state government legislation, which at the moment is not very strong, which means our councillor code of conduct, the penalties in place for them aren't very strong either. So what, what, sort, of, uh, what sort of penalties, councillor, uh, are in place for, let's say, uh, I don't know, a conflict of interest if you... Oh, if, look, con- conflict it, of interest, um, you may... The, the, the highest penalty under code of conduct is a two-month suspension, so or a leave of absence. Um, there can be fines imposed if you had a code of conduct... Uh, sorry, a, a conflict of interest, it actually goes to a different body, um, which is the local government organisation uh, or the local local government governance, and they can actually suspend you for a lot longer. But code of conduct, the laws aren't as strong as that, so it's a, it's a bit of an inequity and something that we're not really happy about. Councillor, I know we can't talk too much about this specific case because there are, as we understand from uh, our inquiries around the place, that there are some... Uh, processes in place around the particular yes, yes. case with Councillor Christine Sint. However, we can, we can talk about it. Back in April, she made yep. some comments comparing Islam to Nazism, which were... Uh, yeah, I think the comment was that she, put, that she saw no difference between uh, any, anybody who followed Islam and a terrorist, was her actual comment. Mm. Which is uh, quite concerning. We did find some more news this morning that uh, was reported on the ABC that um, she did make that comparison to, to Nazism as well. Yep. Um, further, she's made some comments comparing homosexuality to pedophilia. 
um, which has outraged some in the community, particularly a, a, a young... Um, I think it's outraged quite a few yeah. in the community, just quietly. Um, so how does, in this situation, and again, I know that you can't be specific, but yep. how does council go about censoring or, or trying to wind back some of the, um, the, the furor that's been created because of those comments? Yep, right. Um, as to what councillors can do, there's the uh, fellow councillors can put in a code of conduct breach or claim uh, to myself, um, which then there's a process that goes forward. And as you can understand, there was there was one already in place for the comments on Islam, um, and I believe I'm about to receive some in regard to comments just made. Um, the process basically goes an informal mediation where. The councillors, myself and the councillor in question, go into the same room, sit down and see if we can work out the issue. From there, it then goes to a formal mediation with a mediator in place. If there's no resolution there, then it's passed on to a local government panel, um, which consists of a solicitor and a former councillor. So at the moment, that's the stage we're at at the moment um, with the Islam case, and I'm waiting to see where we're at with the the current current comments that were made by councillor since now obviously what <clears throat> one of the things that happens councillor is you know this impacts on the ability of the council to um, conduct its normal business it takes up it, it takes up, takes up a lot of time and, and it's a bit yep. of a bit of a distraction one of the unfortunate uh, side effects of democracy is uh, sometimes people uh, end up being elected to council from of all opinions that is correct. That, that, that is correct. That, re- that realistically, um, look, we all have opinions, and and some of us they're very strongly held. But yep, this sort of uh, this sort of look, it's crap. It's nonsense. Yep. But you just you <laughs> have the technical term for it. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, you have to wonder whether these are firmly held views or whether this is just some some grandstanding to get some attention. <laughs> Uh, is it political opportunism? I guess he's, he's is, really it, is, it, is it political opportunism, or is the person genuinely hold those views? And if they do, well, I feel very sorry for them. I, I have had that comment made that it's political opportunism has been made by a number of people in the region. Um, you know, and and from from previous uh, comments posted by the councillor in the past before she became a councillor, um, they don't tally up with the comments she's making now. Which, which is a very interesting situation indeed. Let's move more broadly to the constituents of, of yep. La Trobe Council. Um, do you think there is support around marriage equality and, and um, support for uh, gender and sexually diverse people in, in the council, in the, look, in the I, environments? I, I think there is. I think what's really important, or the best thing to look at, is our, what started all this was our local, local member, federal member, Darren Chester. Um, Darren's come out in the past and said it. His personal view was he didn't support marriage equality, but if it came to a conscience vote, he was willing to take the view of the majority of his constituents to Canberra. And he actually went online, he sent out flyers um, and surveys, he went to meetings on it, and the response has been 68% in support of same-sex marriage. Now, what caused all of this was Darren turned around and said, that's what the majority of people in the Gippsland electorate want, that is how I'll vote. Um, now, he, he's a National Party uh, he's, member, he's isn't he? He's a National yeah. Party, yeah. yep, he certainly is. And look, he's, um, he's got quite a bit of flack from his own party. Um, Probably from Senator Bridget McKenzie, too. Uh, oh. I don't know. I yeah, don't let's know. let's just know. be careful about that. Uh, 
Yeah. Macca. Uh, <laughs> um, but I do know, I do know there were, were some down here that that jumped up and down about it. But to Dan's credit, he's turned around and said, mm. "Well, sixty-eight percent of, of people that have responded, and it was quite a high response rate, have said they support it. That's the line he's going to take, and and that's what actually started all of this with the good councillor was that um, Darren came out and said, if it's a constant vote, I will support it, even though it's yeah. not a view he holds." It's the view of the majority of his constituents. He will support it. And that's, that's what started this whole furor. So, you know, I think if, if you've got a politician that, that in his own mind doesn't support it but's come out and said overwhelming support for it, you've got to say that the, yeah, the region... He's doing his job. Has, yeah, and, and I think you've got to say the region itself is fully supportive of, of same-sex marriage and marriage equality. That's, you which, know, which is a wonderful, <clears throat> a wonderful thing. And we're seeing more and more of this in regional communities. Well, it's been a wonderful evening again, and there's some pretty interesting content out there. And certainly that last one was quite interesting, backed up by Megan Trainers. I can see your lips moving. Isn't that quite fitting? (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Cheeky. It has been a wonderful evening, and there are so many amazing programs on joy and such diversity. There's just something there for everyone. You really need to go back and listen to the podcasts. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much that comes up every single week, so you shouldn't hesitate. Just go to joy.org.au and you'll see something that you want to listen to, guaranteed. You can find more of the complete podcasts on the Joy website, www.joy.org.au, or download them for free from the iTunes store. You've been listening to A Little Pot of Joy with Andrea and Alice. You've been listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. See joy.org.au and click on our podcast link to subscribe to your favourite podcasts free.
Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.